You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, we're chatting with Donna James, Managing Director of Lardin & Associates. Thanks for joining us, Donna. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> that job title, I feel like, is just one of the many ways that you are sort of involved in the community. So if we could start, actually, I want to get a sense of um, some of the boards you're on and the other work that you do. So where might people know you from? Wow. Probably the first place most people know me from are my days at uh, Nationwide Insurance. Mm -hmm. I retired from there in 2006, retired with a small R, and I quite (laughs) figured out how to get the retirement thing right, and maybe it's okay that I don't. And I retired from Nationwide as president of a division called Strategic Investments, And then I launched Lardin & Associates, Mm -hmm. which is my company, and it's the umbrella for the work I do in the public and private sector, primarily with um, businesses, Mm -hmm. corporate board governance, Mm -hmm. strategy work with private companies, and um, also gives me an umbrella to do the community work that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And that includes the African American Leadership Academy. I'm uh, yes, it includes the African American Leadership Academy, where I am co-executive director along with Mo Wright of Rayma Consulting. I've been in leadership of the African American Leadership Academy for at least the last I'm going to say ten years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on our sixteenth year, and I think I took over in the fifth or sixth year as the executive director. And you were involved with the founding of that. I am one of four (laughs) or five co-founders. I always get um, all of our names mixed up because it was such a long time. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about uh, sort of what what led you all to launch the academy. Yeah, I am one of about four or five founders. We got together, it must have been back in 2002 or 2003, and We discussed how when well-meaning individuals and groups were interested in diversity, there were a handful of people of color, primarily African-American, that they would call, and it was usually one of the five of us. And as much as we appreciated the honors and opportunities, it became very clear that we needed to help identify for others 
the wealth and the plethora of people out there, African-Americans who are very talented and could easily step into the roles. But we also wanted to have the opportunity to share our experience and knowledge and help, um, I'm not going to even call them young people, but help these leaders who are already in leadership roles, but just not as well known Mm -hmm. as perhaps as some of the rest of us. So we got together with Don Vickers, who was the uh, executive director of the Academy for Leadership and Governance, and he worked with us to help us design the first um, curriculum and engagement for the academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when he retired after doing it, uh, leading it for about three years, we had two other interim executive directors, I uh, stepped in. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So we're in year 16, and we have over 200 fellows who uh-huh. have been through the academy. And have do you feel like you've seen a, a change in the community? Are those now some of the people who get called? <laughs> they are. Um, there are some of the people who get called, who've been elected to different roles and positions, who've started their own businesses, who have moved up to be chief technology officers, general counsels in companies, executive directors in organizations. It's been overwhelmingly positive experience and a tremendous return on the investment of time Mm -hmm. in the talent that we already have here in this community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, on that shifting slightly on the subject of investment of time, as someone who, who gets has always gotten a lot of those calls kind of to be involved mm-hmm. in, how do you decide what is what is an effort, um, you know, maybe a board seat or a mentoring relationship or something like that that you want to spend your time on? And how do you say no when it's not a fit? That's a good question. I probably don't say no very well, but I'm still <laughs> learning because my preference is to say yes. And if I have to say no say, no, not me, but here is someone, Mm -hmm. um, or here are two or three people that I think might be interested in doing this, can I introduce you to them? Mm -hmm. And that has worked out very, very well. Mm -hmm. I am involved today, when I think about my nonprofit work and community work, it really revolves around children and health care. I am also the founder of an organ, co-founder of an organization called the Center for Healthy Families. Mm-hmm. Um, I like co-founding things <laughs> because then you have partners. You know that old saying: if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. So I believe in going together with people to get things done, um, so that it sustains itself. So the Center for Healthy Families, an organization focused on pregnant and parenting teens. I co-founded Tashia Safford as the executive director. It is still running strong and doing phenomenal things in our community for young men and young women who find themselves pregnant and Mm -hmm. or parenting. I am also on the board of Ohio Health, so that gets to health care, but it also gets to wellness across the community, and that's another area of importance to me. The African American Leadership Academy on their advisory board, leadership development, Advancing the notion of diversity and inclusion outside in and inside out, it satisfies Mm -hmm. that for me. And yeah, (laughs) probably many others, and I'm going to get in trouble for not naming them all. (laughs) We'll put them all in there. Thank you. Um, Well, and... Is diversity and inclusion a part of the, the focus of kind of your day job at Larden, or can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing on a day-to-day so basis? So 
diversity and inclusion, I think, is um, interwoven into everything I do, but it is not my practice or my discipline. Okay. But I know lots of people who are very well versed in that space. So when I get that call, I can connect them. But Larnan Associates is an advisory uh, mm-hmm. firm. I see myself and then the team that I pull together when needed providing advice, counsel, and insight for businesses Mm -hmm. to help them grow, to get to their best next. And on the leadership side, through Larden, I also facilitate leaders getting to their best next, Mm -hmm. them and their organization. Because as the leader goes, so goes the organization. And the way I do the work that I do is primarily through boards, serving Mm -hmm. on boards. There is a a very active and engaging role you can have as a board member, especially if it's um, a company that is in a growth mode. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some are turnaround situations and some are turn up situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like both. Wait, wait, what is turn up situation? Turn up is about growth. Okay. It's about accelerating growth. Um, I have one client, and I worked with her when I served on um, <clears throat> served as the chair of the National Women's Business Council out of Washington, D.C. during the Obama administration. And it was a volunteer role, and there were 15, 16 of us, and all were women business owners. And after my time, and her time in that uh, role, she came to me and said, hey, Donna, would you go on my board? I'm starting a board for my business. She runs an investment management firm. And she says, I want to go from success to significance. Mm -hmm. And that's a turn-up situation. You're already successful. You're doing well, but you're trying to get to your best next. Mm -hmm. And you want hard insight and um, support in terms of how to get there. And those, the turn-up situations, I really enjoy. Gotcha. Yeah. When you decided to retire from Nationwide and go out on your own, uh, what, what did that thought process look like? Why was that? Oh, right my time? goodness. <laughs> that was quite the journey. The catalyst for my decision to retire was a health scare. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I um, suffered a stroke. And I was probably only 49 years old. Oh, my goodness. And it was what the doctors would technically call a mini stroke, but it didn't feel mini to me. (laughs) I was paralyzed on my right side, and I could not speak. I was wide awake. It lasted for maybe a good 30, 45 minutes. No pain, just immobilized. Unfortunately, I was at home. Unfortunately, my husband was there. You know, I love him dearly, and I have to beg his forgiveness all the time because I never thought he would know what to do in an emergency. <laughs> Not that I could have predicted this one, but uh, sure enough, he was my superhero. And he recognized something was really wrong, called 911, and I got the treatment uh, I needed at Grant Hospital right away. And so I recovered. But it caused me to rethink, Mm -hmm. and it was a moment for pause and say, okay, what is it I really want to be doing? What else do I want to do? And I knew I wouldn't be able to figure that out if I kept doing what I was doing. And what I was doing, I loved. Mm -hmm. I was running five um, subsidiaries um, for Nationwide, all in different areas of financial services, One was a global business. The others were based in the U.S., mortgage 
banking, um, health care, health and productivity. I mean, it was, and I had an innovation unit. So it was a wonderful portfolio mm-hmm. of companies, and I really enjoyed that. I wanted to do a little more in community and family. So I said, you know what, I'm going to step away and rethink all of this. And it was very scary. Mm-hmm. Um Boards, corporate boards, that was one thing I knew I wanted to do when I retired. I didn't think I was really ready to retire Mm -hmm. at 49. So I had one board that I was already serving on. Another had offered me a position, and I had to turn it down after the stroke. I went back to them, and when I told them, no, I'm sorry, I can't join your board right now. I've got to focus on my health. Here's what happened. A week later, they called me back and said, Donna, you take your time, you get well, and when you are ready, call us. We will wait for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that blew me away (laughs) because I was so accustomed to waiting for, reaching out, bending over backwards for everyone else to have this major company say, get well, we will wait for you, Mm -hmm. was amazing. And they did. It um, took me, you know, several months, and within four months, you know, I was back and knew what I wanted to do, and I decided to retire from Nationwide, start Larden & Associates, and do um, corporate governance work. Mm -hmm. And um, I now still have my portfolio of businesses just from a different seat, Uh a different room with a view. Have you ever missed being part of the behemoth that is nationwide. (laughs) I miss the people. Good friends, great colleagues, wonderful stories. I get together with several of them, but no, I don't miss what I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was the right step for me at that time. I had quite a few people who challenged it and wondered if I was off my rocker (sighs) and overreacting, but um, no, I took a risk and it was the right risk to take. When you were at Nationwide, what was the gender breakdown of of leadership? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll go to gender and race because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm in that intersectionality of being, you know, a woman, but being an African-American woman, a woman of color, which has its own dynamics. If I looked around, I did not see a lot of people who looked like me at my level. Um, At the time, I was the highest ranking African-American and woman, except there was another woman, so I had a peer in the general counsel's seat, Mm -hmm. which was phenomenal. And the company was changing. We were bringing in and developing more women and more people of color. So it looks very different today Mm -hmm. than it did when I was coming along. And that's a testament to the leadership seeing and continuing to see diversity in women, diversity of color, to be an important component of a business and growing a business. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for businesses that are looking to diversify and to bring in new Yeah, two things. First, I would say it's important to build your pipeline. And Mm -hmm. a lot of companies start by embracing hiring at the entry level um, and even mid-management level. But I think they have to go further than that. One, they have to be willing and take the step of hiring at senior management levels and not just assuming we're going to build a pipeline and in the next 10 years we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. You have to feed at all levels Mm -hmm. of the enterprise if you're going to drive that change. And then don't think for them not to assume that 
diversity of representation gets them there. Mm -hmm. Because you can create a mosaic of people, but if you don't figure out a way to knit them together and have a culture that makes them and the people who are already there feel included and valued, you're just going to have a revolving door. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent of trying to make a quilt and you have all these different pieces of fabric but you don't take the time to sew it together Mm -hmm. you don't take the time to really create that quilt in such a way that it is a warm and nurturing and supportive environment no matter what color or gender you are but especially if you are changing the game by bringing on women and bringing in um, people of color You have to rethink culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm fond of saying, and it's not my quote, but it's so true, culture will eat a good strategy for lunch. Mm. You can have the best strategy, and if your strategy is to develop and grow and bring in diverse people, great. But if you don't nurture the right culture, if you don't step back and say, what are the great things about my culture that will be supportive of any and everyone, but especially women and people of color, And then what are the things that we think are great but could actually get in the way? Mm -hmm. You're going to lose the good vibe that you start by the recruiting and the hiring. Retention is so important. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, don't just hire bottom up. you got to hire top down and you've got to build the right culture. Interesting. I just read this report about the broken rung and how that's a larger issue for women in leadership specifically because, yeah, you start at the – you know, hiring equally at mm-hmm. the entry level, but then when there's not equality at the kind of first managerial perspective that you've already yeah. proportionally really shifted what people are then in the pipeline to continue Absolutely. moving up. So you need to think about it differently throughout every level. You've so. got to nurture the pipeline, but you have to think of the pipeline as something you feed at every level and not just one level and then expect it's going to flow upwards. Mm -hmm. That would defy gravity. (laughs) Anyway, so you've got to work at moving people up. Gotcha. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about just getting to know you. So now, are you from Columbus originally? No, not originally. I'm originally from Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay. Went to school there. I was born in Washington, D.C., but raised in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Went all my schooling in North Carolina, including college. Graduate of North Carolina A&T State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aggie Pride, historically black college, university, and um, strong engineering. But I majored in accounting uh, when I attended school there, only because the um, business school gave me more money than the engineering (laughs) school, and I needed money for school. (laughs) Was that uh, important to you to go to an HBCU? It was by default, not by design. And now that I look back on it, uh, by design, it was the best place for me to be. Um, Growing up in the time that I did and growing up in North Carolina, the civil rights era was something that I remember as a young child. So for me, going to an historically black college was reaffirming relative to my diversity, my Mm -hmm. ethnicity, and reaffirming in terms of building a sense of confidence and comfort with Mm -hmm. who I am. Because when you go out into the business world, being female and being African-American, there are opportunities to embrace challenge. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to always embrace challenge, not walk away from it, not be afraid of it, but embrace it in a way that was effective. 
And the HBCU experience really helped me to do that so that I did not get uh, derailed or deformed Mm -hmm. by experiences that would come after because I was very, very comfortable with, you know, who I was and who I am as a person Mm -hmm. and did not realize that until years later how important it was. I had an individual say to me once, he said, you know, and this was when I um, was an executive at Nationwide, he said, you know, it's one thing I've come to appreciate or understand about you guys who've been to HBCUs. You have a lot of Mm self-confidence. And I just had to laugh. I don't know what his other experiences (laughs) have been, but for me, I understood what he was saying, Mm -hmm. um, and it's true. You have to have it. And having confidence doesn't mean you know it all. It just means you know how to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you... Make your way from the South to Columbus, Ohio. Was it Nationwide that brought you here? No, it was uh, my accounting background. I'm a CPA by training, and I was recruited by um, Coopers and Librarian, now mm-hmm. Price Waterhouse Coopers, and as an accountant. And they came on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to promote diversity yeah. in their organization, mm-hmm. and so they were recruiting on diverse college campuses and offered me a position and. Gave me three cities I could have started my career with, and I chose Columbus, Ohio, because the Midwest felt a little more like North Carolina mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. a little more homey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and then been here ever since? Ever since. I thought I would come to Columbus, work a couple of years, and go back. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Uh-huh. Um, that first year, it was really tough because... You know, you get homesick, and yeah. almost every other weekend, I was getting in my little car and driving down the road to get back to North Carolina, but eventually it settled in. Kind of an intense drive down to North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, it was. From- <laughs> just, went, just went to a wedding in Asheville, and I was like, next time we will not do this at night. <laughs> I know. Uh, my mother got on me so bad because I would get off work on Friday, not even go home. I'd have a backpack, jump in my car hit the road, and mm. I wouldn't tell her I was coming. Uh-huh. And it would be after midnight. Yeah. And I would get there, and she'd have you lost your mind? What are you doing? That? And I think back on it now and go, oh, my gosh, that was such a not-so-smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Driving by myself, you know, at and night, through the mountain. Through the ma- oh, <laughs> yeah, not smart. But well, we, you're, yeah. you made it here today. I made it here today, thank God. Getting in just a little bit more about you, mm-hmm. tell me what you've got a free Saturday morning. Where will we find you? A free Saturday morning. Oh, my goodness. What does that look like? <laughs> um, a free Saturday morning. So I am an introvert by nature. And so that means I get my energy by kind of going in myself. And so my favorite thing to do when I have time that is me time is either to read or mm-hmm. watch an old movie. Mm-hmm. And if all else fails, I'll find a closet or something I can get neck deep in and clean out, um, <laughs> which sounds like the most boring thing you can do. But uh, for someone who is go, 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 that is like mm-hmm. kind of a catharsis mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, reading is probably... What type of books do you like reading? Well, right now I'm on this journey to finish as many books by Toni Morrison as oh. I can. <clears throat> um, she is a phenomenal writer, and she passed recently. Mm-hmm. And that 
reintroduced to me the energy about her and around her. Mm-hmm. And so I went to see a documentary and then I um, participated, not participated, I sat through a panel discussion about her, young African-American writers and artists in the community, which was very inspiring. It was over at Gateway. And then I downloaded four or five of her books. Yeah, and so that's uh, what I've been doing. I started with Sula mm-hmm. um, because someone on the panel recommended that I start there because I admitted, you know, love her and who she is, but she's a tough read. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be patient when you're reading. And I'm patient up to a point. And mm-hmm. so I started with Sula, um, which I really enjoyed. Now I'm on Beloved. Right. And and it's still a tough read. Yes. But it's not as hard as I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I can enjoy mm-hmm. um, the beauty of her way of describing people mm-hmm. and environments and the storyline and how she goes back and forth. So, yeah, after Beloved, then I will uh, go to The Bluest Eye. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I took a... Morrison class essentially mm-hmm. when I was in college which I think was very valuable because she it's very helpful to, to have some sort of like framing yes, to understand if you've got context yeah, for yeah. what she's writing about and that's the panel discussion and the documentary helped to give me context mm-hmm. I was really fascinated around the context for Beloved yes. and the article that was a true story of an, a slave woman who killed her babies to save them from going back into slavery when mm-hmm. she got recaptured. Mm-hmm. And she took that article mm-hmm. and wrote Beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, her view and vision of what that woman's life and her children's lives yeah. must have been like. It's I've fascinating. Been, I've been meaning to reread. So uh, she had one that came out just a couple years ago that I... I didn't even realize. I think it's called Home, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, that's her, her yeah. last one. So I, ha- I hadn't read that but I've read all her other stuff. Been meaning to reread them since yeah. she died. So they I'll are, to get in it. They, so that's my so, yeah. journey. My that's my reading stack. Everything yeah. else is to the side. <laughs> my favorite. My favorite is jazz. Uh, oh, but which is kind of I think an unusual pick. But I mm-hmm. really having a professor kind of like help me understand what was happening in jazz was really great. So I hope you love jazz. We'll get to it. <laughs> I'll have to let you know, but I'm sure I will. All right. Um, well, I think kind of my last question, and you can take it mm-hmm. any way you want, is if you were talking to a young woman just graduating from college, starting her career, what's the number one piece of advice that you would t- give her? Wow. As soon as you said that, my <laughs> mind raced to uh, my granddaughter, Trinity. She's um, in high school now and she will be going to college and so I've been thinking a lot about her and her journey and the journey of of women Um, and I'll add a flavor of women and women of color to this because there is this intersectionality Mm -hmm. and so my advice would be don't assume that right out of the gate when you graduate you're supposed to be doing the thing that you major in Mm -hmm. It may not happen that way, and it's okay. College is to prepare you for getting to your best next, whatever that is. And it may be very different from the thing you majored in, but it may be very aligned with it. So don't be discouraged if you have to take another job before you get to what you think your ultimate job is. Because what I think we all discover is it is a journey, and each career move is education for the journey. 
You may not be able to see your destination day one. That's okay. And I'm not saying live and love ambiguity, but learn how to live through it mm-hmm. um, because it's where you find answers. Mm-hmm. Um, if everything were crystal clear, this would probably be the most boring place to exist. <laughs> the ambiguity is what teases us and tests us and causes us to think hard and problem solve. And as long as you have, as long as you have clear intention, even if that intention is what I call geographic, meaning I want to be successful and I want to help people. That's a good intent, mm-hmm. even if you're not sure in what way, mm-hmm. because the universe will start to unfold and give you those answers if you have that type of intent, even if it's just geographic intent. Terrific. Well, I think that's great. Thank you so much, Don. It was lovely to chat with you. And you as well. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it.